have the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that, that victory, this victory, has overcome the world. And so, Lord Jesus, we're so careful to give you all the glory and all the honor. And you have called us to reign in this life. Not when we get to heaven, but we're called and ordained of the Father to reign as kings and priests in this life now. So Holy Spirit, continue to open the eyes of our understanding to see that we're victors. And we overcome the world by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. You are great and you are a mighty God. And you've ordained for your people not to have a defeatist attitude, but an attitude of victory every day because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we worship you, our Lord and King. And we invite your Holy Spirit to teach us this morning. May every heart be an open heart, a softened heart, ready to receive the word of the Lord. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said, Amen, amen. Say, I have the victory. Look at your neighbor and say, you've got the victory. No. Say to your neighbor, you've got the victory. That's better. Coalition send us these voter guides every election year. They basically just go through and and list some of the major issues and how each candidate stands on those issues. Um, we have a bunch of these in the back on the counter. You can take one. You can take a bunch. There's plenty. So uh, if you want that, be sure and take some. Friday. At 12 o'clock noon, we left our house, flew to Lubbock, Texas, attended two church services, and we were home in our house at 1230 last night. That is the way to travel. And we want to thank you so much, and we want to thank Rich and Julie so much. Rich flew us with no, with no landing lights. No, I mean, he just flew out of instinct, and, and but we, we made it, so... Uh, Friday night, we were at a church in Lubbock, and Jeremiah Johnson was to speak, and it was storming in Charlotte, North Carolina. It was storming in Dallas, Fort Worth, and he didn't make it. And he said that's the first time in all the years he's ministered that he didn't make it, but a woman from his ministry made it, and she ministered that night, and that was very good. And then he was there last night, and it it was just a wonderful time, and we appreciate it, and thank you so much. Last night, he talked, um, he's really more, he's a prophet, and he's an exhorter. He isn't so, or at least he wasn't so much a teacher, but he exhorted last night, and just put things in perspective, and he started in Second Samuel chapter 3, in verse 1, and it says, Now there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. But David grew stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. And he likened that to both Saul and David were imperfect men. But Saul followed after the things of the world and popular opinion, and David followed after God. And as the result, Saul's house grew weaker and weaker, and David's house grew stronger and stronger. And that's where the church in the United States of America stands today. And he talked about COVID being that turning point. And we have to decide, and we have decided, that we're going to follow after God and the things of God and not necessarily popular opinion and, and all of that. So we have made the decision we're going on. We're going to be stronger 
and stronger, and I'm sure Mike will talk more about about some of these things. Um, hopefully, the message, especially last night, it was really outstanding, and hopefully it will be on YouTube. We will let you know if we find it, but I'm guessing that the church that hosted it will have the, the services on their um, on their website. So when we find that, we'll let you know, and so you can watch that. So, uh, ushers, you can go ahead and receive this morning's tithes and offerings. days ahead stand with us we began you know for we start the first year first of the year usually when we have corporate prayer praying and standing against tornadoes you just need to do that now we need to pray and stand against snow and blizzards on sunday morning amen a lot of people come from out of town and and so just thank god every sunday we have good weather are you in agreement? Amen. Amen. Well, we were blessed, and and uh, I, I say this from the bottom of my heart. I serve the finest people a pastor could have. You've taken care of your pastors for, I lost track, how many years? 30-some, 30 35 years. And uh, I don't take that for granted. And it's it's so important, you know, that in that the the sheep and the, and believers take care of their their shepherds, their leadership. We visited the church, and it was a a wonderful facility and good people, just good grassroots people. I felt at home. I really liked the at, spiritual atmosphere of the community, and. Uh, we had a good time, and, and, you know, you need to get away. And I, I, I tell you what, it spoils you when you got your own plane. I can see why the elitists and the rock stars and politicians have their own planes. We'd get in the mail from Barclay about needing to buy a new plane or this person needs a new plane for their ministry, and I'm thinking, oh, geez. But... If you do travel, that is the way to go. And if you need a plane and you want a great pilot, Rich is a good one. Amen. And so we're so blessed. And, and uh, I, I really enjoy Jeremiah Johnson's ministry. We will find that. I know it will be on YouTube. You must listen to the message. Amen. Look in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Our series is entitled Prepare, Proceed, and Possess. The purposes of the series was, number one, to recognize and embrace we're in a new season. And he did emphasize that. And he basically said, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is not going to be the same in the days ahead. You know, and he what to use the phrase, three fast songs, an offering, and a message. <laughs> the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is being revived right now so we can get outside of these four walls. 
And there are people out there that need the gospel. There are people out there, they're in fear over this COVID thing. They're in fear over financial situations. And and we have the answer. And his name's Jesus Christ. Amen. So we're, we're in a new season. We've talked about that. Number two, we said it's your responsibility and my responsibility to prepare for it. Amen? Prepare. Then we said it's going to take courage and it's going to take obedience. Now this morning we're, uh, we're going to go into uh, another element, another important point. And in the days ahead, if you've not already recognized this, there is a separation occurring. And I say that God is, has always intended for his people to be set apart, consecrated, and a holy people. And we should be set apart from the world. And listen, I'm going to tell you something, and this is the honest God's truth. There's still some world in all of us. Did you hear me? And, and, but, but what's happening is God is dealing with his people, and there's a separation. In other words, we should be the ones different from the world. We should be examples of Jesus Christ wherever we go. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. We don't have to think like the world, act like the world, and talk like the world. But you know what? God loves the world, and we, know, we need to love the world. I don't care you know, what background, what the culture is, and the education, and how much money they have, poor, rich, and... You know, there's people out there that are deceived and and they need Jesus, bottom line. So let's look at this. There's a separation. And I want you to begin, and we're going to look at Deuteronomy 7, because God the Father is dealing with the nation of Israel. And this is what he expects. In fact, in in the margin, in, in the title of this chapter in my Bible, it says, A Chosen People. It says, when the Lord God brings you into the land which you go to possess and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites, the, the Girgashites, and the Amorites, and the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivite, Hivites, the Jebusites, the Termites. Seven nations greater and mightier than you. And when the Lord your God delivers them over, you, you notice it says here, he says, seven nations, what, greater and mightier. It's scriptural to state the problem. He's just telling them the truth. And when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall what? Conquer them. Say conquer. The Bible says we're more than conquerors. You shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show no mercy to them, nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son, nor take their daughter for your son, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. That's where, the, where we're at right now. That's what's happened. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly, but thus you shall deal with them. You shall destroy their altars, break down their sacred pillars, cut down their wooden images, and burn their carved images with fire. Amen? That's what should happen to Hollywood right now. Amen? What's going on there now is is not golly, but you know, God's got people there. It says in verse 6, for you are what? For you are holy. Now, in my Bible, it says for holy. In the margin of my Bible, it says set apart. For you are, God's telling the nation of Israel, you are a holy set apart people to the Lord your God. And the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself. Say, I've been chosen for God. A 
special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you. Because you were more number than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples. But because the Lord, what, loves you, and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Therefore, know that the Lord your God, he is God, the Faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. And he repays those who hate him to their face to destroy them. He will not be slack with him who hates him. He will repay them to his face. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments, the statutes and the judgments, which I command you today to observe them now. That word holy, holy people, as I said, means set apart, dedicated to sacred purposes. You and I have been consecrated and dedicated for what? Sacred purposes. Leviticus 19.2 says, you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. You don't need to turn there, but let me read it to you in the New Testament, 1 Peter 2, 9. I've always liked this, this scripture. It says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his what? Marvelous light who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Have you ever had a bad day? Amen. Yeah, when those running lights didn't go on, and his automatic pilot disengaged or whatever. What kind of day is this going to be? No. When you get to know somebody by the Spirit... And you know their skill level. He's a good pilot. I want you to know, I don't care. If you have a bad day, you you wake up and you don't feel like you're a born-again, spirit-filled believer. Then you need to get this scripture. And you need to remind yourself, "This, this is so good. Because this is the way the Father sees you and I. I'm going to read it again. Now listen, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And I like this part, his own special people. Say, I'm God's own special people. That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness. Say, I've been called out of darkness. Into his marvelous light. Who once were not a people. But are now the people of God. Who had not obtained mercy. But now have obtained mercy. Say I have mercy. Amen. Aren't you glad you have God's mercy. I'm going to read a few excerpts from an excellent book. I've had it in my library for years. It's called Intoxicated with Babylon. The seduction of God's people in the last days. His his name is Steve Gallagher. He says this. There are three important lessons for believers today that can be extrapolated from the history of the Jewish people. First, God demands that his people, whether Old Testament Jews or New New Testament Christians, live a life separated from unbelievers. Second, if they fail to do this, it is inevitable... As we read in the scripture, they will be drawn into the same idolatry that dominates the lives of the ungodly. Third, if if and when that happens, God will allow his people to come under the oppression of the very people with which the saints have mingled and compromised their testimony. 
The clear biblical mandate from God's dealings with the Jewish people is that his people must maintain a distinct and separate lifestyle from those who are part of the kingdom of darkness. Now, we live in this world, but we're not of this world. And every day we got to go to work. We got to go to work and mingle with the world. You know, our customers might be worldly. You do business with people that aren't Christians. But the thing is, the world should see that we're different. Now, I know a lot of Christians are different. But we need to be different in the respect that, you know, we don't talk like the world. We don't think like the world. We don't have to necessarily dress like the world or act like them. Amen? And that's what's going to draw people. Turn the heat down, please. It's too warm in here. Um, as the ladies say, it's not either, and they got their coats on. I'm right under it, I guess. You are set apart. And you and I are dedicated for God's sacred purposes. And you've got to see yourself that way. Look at 1 Corinthians 3. We walk by faith and not by sight. We walk according to what the Word says. Not what our flesh says, not what we think or what we feel. It's the Word that's real. 1 Corinthians 3.16, it states, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Meditate on that. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Look over a couple chapters. Look at chapter 6. Same message. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Say, the Holy Spirit is in me. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Whom you have from God and you are not your own. That's where most Christians don't have a revelation of this. And you are not your own for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now, in my Bible, it gives this definition. It says, in effort to bring the church at Corneth into a right relationship with God, Paul emphasizes the believer's stewardship over his or her body. He says in this passage that the body is not self-governing or self-sustaining, but belongs to the Lord and is a member of Christ. In verse 19, Paul declares that the believer's body is a temple, the temple of the Holy Spirit. Since the Holy Spirit lives in the believer's body, the believer cannot claim ownership of his or her body. Now, don't just let that go over your head. In verse 20, Paul gives another reason the believer should not think of his body as his or, his or her own. You were bought at a price. God purchased the believer's body and spirit with the precious shed blood of Jesus Christ. Let us be diligent to remember that our bodies belong to the Lord, purchased by his son and inhabited by his spirit. You know, we need to meditate on that every day. This body doesn't belong to me. It's God's. Amen? And God should have his say what we're doing with his body. You agree with that? The author goes on and he says this. 
maintaining a love affair with the world. See, this is where the, you know, Caden asked if I was going to share and preach about what he he preached on, and but he did share about you know. There's been too much of the world in the church. Too many spiritual rock stars. The church has worshipped a man or a gift. The only one that deserves our worship is Jesus. I've never, my wife and I've never been really drawn to Christian television, especially years ago. I found very much of it nauseating. Because it put too much emphasis on the minister and his ministry. Instead of pointing to Jesus. But listen, it's all changing. There are men like Jeremiah Johnson rising up now. And other men like Hank and and Hank and his wife Brenda Kunum. and, And all over this nation, God is raising up a new generation of leadership. And they're going to stay pure. And they're going to stay clean. Because they know that they are not their own. They belong to God. And boy, do we need people like that. Amen. He says this. Maintaining a love affair with the world is akin to having a mistress. In many of today's cultures, keeping a mistress is an acceptable practice. Providing some excitement to an otherwise boring life in marriage. The modern day church, especially in the West, has its own mistress. Having fallen head over heels in love with the world, the average believer can talk for hours about the things of the world. But when they try asking about their relationship with the Lord, they quickly run out of words. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's so true. When a person is in love, they will enthusiastically tell you all about their lover. Paul warned us in the last days, men would be lovers of money, lovers of pleasure, lovers of self, more than lovers of God. These are some of the lovers which creep into our lives and gradually erode our relationship with God. Jesus said in the last days, the love of many would wax what? Cold. How well this describes the condition of the present day church. Over time, the church's passion for Christ has cooled from its former fervency and fire to what is now only a smoldering ember. James refers to those who love the world as adulterers. Tragically, the vast majority of Christians are even now pursuing an ongoing love affair with the world. Every Sunday, they convey a false image to others that their marriage to Christ is impeccable. Yet, in reality, they derive far more excitement from their interaction with the world. The spirit of this world is a powerful and cunning seductress that few (coughs) seem able to discern and from whom even fewer seem able to disengage themselves. She craftily flatters with her lips, deceiving people into a false sense of security while they partake of her enticements. But as the book of Proverbs says, many are the victims she has cast down and numerous are all her slain. Her house is the way to Sheol. Imagine, now listen, what it would be like on your wedding day to hear your spouse say these words. I'm just going to pick two names because I, I don't want anybody to feel like I'm picking on them. Is there any bills here today? Any Sues? Any Sues? Okay. Imagine what it would be like on your wedding day to hear your spouse say these words. I, Bill, take you, Sue, to be my lawfully wedded wife. I promise to remain faithful to you on Sundays only. I refuse to forsake all former lovers, choosing rather to cling to them and meet with them thoroughly throughout the week. No one in their right mind would agree to such an arrangement. And yet, that is exactly how many Christians treat the Lord, our heavenly bridegroom. 
That's, that's powerful. I think, you know, we need to, in the days ahead, we need to kind of do a self-evaluation where we're at. And I say every one of us, including the preacher. I say this from the bottom of my heart, and I sincerely believe this church is on the right track. And if we keep praying like we're praying and crying out to God like we've been crying out to God, we're going to be all right. Doesn't mean we're not going to have some issues or battles or difficulties. We, that's just part of the whole thing. But there's, there's a separation coming. I don't want anything in my life to keep me from my fellowship with, with my Heavenly Father. I don't want any hobby. I don't want television. And I like television. There's certain things, but gosh, I'll tell you what, it's getting tough. Thank God for American Pickers. Frank and Mike are my salvation. I can stay clean by watching that. They get rid of that gal that's covered with tats. No. It's but you know, she used to be a uh, strip tease pole dancer. I didn't know that long into the series, but after watching her, I could see it. What I'm telling, I got off on a. I digress. I digress. We're gonna have to watch, what, you know, what we're doing. And I think today you're thinking to yourself, is there some, is, is there some worldliness in my life? Well, of course there is. And if you're not strong, it's real easy to cave in to your friends, your peers. It's, it's easy to just to follow, follow the crowd. I, I can tell you this. <coughs> this preacher and that preacher, Pastor Brad, we're not perfect. But I can assure you, we're not going to follow the crowd. If I we if years ago if we've chosen to follow the crowd, I'd probably be pastoring a church of a thousand people, maybe. But my God, to, when I was young, I thought, oh, I want a big church, I want a big church. Now I'm older, wiser. I just want a group of people that love God, on fire for God, separated from the world, want to do kingdom business every day. I want quality. Amen? Look at 1 John 2. I'm almost done. 1 John 2. You don't have anything to do anyway but scoop snow, so there's no hurry. <laughs> we, had to, we had to leave at a certain time in that meeting last night because he had the plane and the, we were supposed to leave the, the meeting at 9 o'clock and I told him, Oh, my God, it's going to be a miracle, you know, because they're worship. I never do understand when churches have great speakers, they got to spend 45 minutes in worship and then introduce the speaker. I'm the opposite. Have one or two songs introduce the greater gift. But at 9 o'clock, I thought we're going to make it. And then he'd say, Jeremiah John, well, 30 more seconds. Well, that turned into, what, three minutes, and I'm looking at Rich, and we're like this, ready to get up. Well, you don't want to, you know grieve the Holy Ghost and what's going on in the meeting and finally <laughs> we could get up and go <laughs> we made it first John 2 verse 15 do not what do not what love the world or the things in the world if anyone loves the world the love of the father is not in him for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. The author says, there are three carnal appetites, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the lust of pride are branches of sin. Say branches of sin. I like it the way he puts it. 
The lust of the flesh represents the entire realm of pleasure, entertainment, amusement, and comfort, and includes addictions, movies, sports, television, travel, all the many kinds of activities people become involved in. The lust of the eyes describes a person's intense desire to have something he sees. It usually revolves around the desire for possessions, trendy clothes, the latest technology, a new car, and so on. The pride of life is a person's exaggerated estimate of his own value as a person. Self-ambition a drive to be successful, to have more prominence, an urge to keep up with the Joneses, are the prideful desire to be the one. These are the evidences of the pride of life. The entire evil tree with its three main branches could be best described by the single term coveting, which is in its simplest meaning, the desire for something for self. Most of the things mentioned above are permissible by the Lord when they're kept in their proper place. Did you hear that now? God's not against us having nice homes, nice vehicles to be blessed. Amen? The trouble is that Christians have allowed these lusts to drive them in much the same way the unsaved are driven. In fact, in the... In the daily life, it is difficult to see any difference between the two. The world caters to these passions and the whore of Babylon operates a house of pleasures that will give anybody, whether they call themselves Christians or not, what they want. That's what that scripture is talking about. Now, the Bible calls and i won't have you turn there you're just you can write it down but in john 12 31 jesus said he's the satan is the ruler of the world say ruler of this world god's got the whole world in his hands no he doesn't then in second corinthians 4 4 he's called the god of this age satan is is the god of um the economic system, the political system, what do you think? Entertainment and media. Don't turn there, I'll just, I want to read this to you in Luke 4. This is the temptation of Jesus by Satan in the wilderness. And in Luke 4, verse 6, it just says, And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you. Does Satan have all authority? When did he get all authority, folks? Way back when? Garden of, the, Garden of Eden. All this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. Now listen to what what it says in in definition of my Bible about earth's evil ruler. As Jesus confronts Satan, he dramatically exposes the adversary's relationship to this present world. Note the significance in Satan's offer to Jesus of all the kingdoms of the world. Here we see the adversary as administrator of the curse on this planet, a role he has held since mankind's dominion was lost and forfeited at the fall. Because of this, Jesus does not contest the devil's right to make that offer of this world's kingdoms and glory, but he pointedly denies the terms for their being gained. Jesus knows he is here to regain and ultimately win them, but he will do so on the Father's terms, not the adversaries. Still, the present world systems are largely grounded by the limited but powerful and destructive rule of the one Jesus calls the ruler of this world. Understanding, and this is so important as a young Christian, you get this. Understanding these facts, we are wise not to attribute to God anything of the disorder of our confused, sin-riddled, diseased, tragedy-written, and tormented planet. 
Satan is the God of this world. This present evil age lies under the sway of the wicked one. But Jesus also said that Satan's rule will be cast down and that he has nothing in me. Amen. That is no control over Christ or Christ's own. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And not too many folks in the church get that. Greater is he that is in you and me than he that is in the world. Would you agree with that? This word for world is cosmos. K-O-S-M-O-S. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close. I'm just going to read the definitions of this word cosmos, which represents the world. It's defined this way. Always used to depict the arena where Satan attempts to wield his influence and describe all the human systems of the world. It's an ordered existence apart from God. Here's another one. It describes the corporate consciousness of the people of this world who are in rebellion against God's authority. Now think the time in which we're living right now. Does this fit? Most certainly. Cosmos is what binds together the unbelieving world. It is a global mentality that remains a powerful, unspoken force in the lives of mankind. It molds vastly different people groups into one entity which lives out its existence on earth under the domain of Satan, unified against God. And have you noticed there's separate entities in the political system that all of a sudden came together? Here's another one. While the word cosmos refers, refers primarily to the people who are in the anti-God system, it also refers to the global consciousness of those people or to the spirit that controls their thinking. Thus, now listen... Thus, the spirit of cosmos is none other than the devil himself. That's what we're dealing with right now. I'll read these to you. I'll close with this. Here's some biblical statements about the world. Scriptures containing the world. My kingdom is not of this world. Who said that? Jesus. The world has been crucified to me, Galatians 6, 14. Also Paul. You formerly walked according to the course of this world, Ephesians 2, 2. 2 Corinthians 6, 14. Do not be bound together with unbelievers, James 1, 27. Keep yourself unstained by the world, Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? Renewing your mind. 2 Corinthians 6.17 Come out from their midst and be separate. 1 John 2.15 Do not love the world nor the things in the world. 1 John 2.15 Also, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 2 Timothy 4.10 Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me. James 4.4 Boy, this is a this will make you think. A friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So if you love the world more than you love God, you are an enemy of God. Mark 8, 36. Gain the whole world and forfeit your soul. John 12, 25. He who loves his life in this world loses it. Ephesians 6, 12. Our struggles against the world forces of this darkness. That's where the church is at right now. 1 John 5, 4. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. How many here today have Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? Then the Bible says you're a world overcomer. 2 Peter 2, 20. They have escaped the defilements of the world. John 17, 14. The world has hated them. Also, they are not of the world. 
Hebrews 11.38, man of whom the world was not worthy. 1 John 3.13, do not marvel, brethren, if the world hates you. John um, 15 says, yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Matthew 5.14 says, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. John 16, 33, in the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. John 17, 18, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the local church. Oh, I'm sorry. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and be full of fear, fall over in despair, be discouraged, put a gun in your head. No, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Just scriptures about the world. Now, listen, Harvest Church, you're in the world. I'm in the world, but the world shouldn't be in us. I was, we were coming home flying the other night, and, and uh, we were all talking about the meeting. And Micah, I don't know how he made this statement. <clears throat> I, I never groomed my boys to be preachers. I just wanted them to be what God called them to be. And Micah made this statement. He says, well, you know, he's so passionate about <laughs> security and teaching you know people how to use a firearm and and i said micah that's your world you're going to reach people in that world that i couldn't reach whatever you're called to do here whether you be a taxidermist whether while well, you're retired now whether you work for nppd you know Whatever your job description is, that's your world. And you're called to it. And you don't have to be a five-fold ministry gift. Just be what God called you to be. Do it to the best of your ability. Love people from all. And I raised my boys to love all kinds of people. And they've watched their mom and dad love all kinds of people from all walks of life and accept them. And that's the way you need to be. You're no better than anybody else. I'm not better than anybody else. I wouldn't be anybody without Jesus. I told, I was speaking to Caden the other day. I said, Caden, I never was ex expected to be a preacher. All I ever wanted to do was serve one. And he was talking, Jeremiah Johnson, he's talked about how many of these people want to be ministers and they want to be on a stage and have a following. Let me tell you something. If that's what you want and you're called to it, you'll make it. But if you're not, you'll fall flat on your face. Robert's a mechanic. He's a fine mechanic. That's his world. He's a race car driver. That's your world. <laughs> There's some characters in that world, isn't there? You're sitting next to a few, Robert. Construction. Brad, Micah, you work in construction. Come home with stories, all kinds of people. Some of them, pretty dirty bathrooms. Ron, you've been a lawyer. You're semi-retired. What a world. <laughs> you've seen it, haven't you, Mr. Elvin? You drive a truck, Scott. It's a world. It's a different world out there. But be thankful you're called. You're chosen. You're set apart. You're vessels of honor, sanctified and useful. So when you get up in the morning and you walk out that door, Jesus walks out that door with you because your body's the temple of the Holy Ghost. And you go out there and be an influencer for Jesus. You're not to be conformed to the world. 
You don't have to act like him, talk like him, think like him, but you sure can represent Jesus and have an effect. Let's stand to our feet today. Now, let me ask you this. Anybody here got any world in you? <laughs> Listening to these kind of messages, do you think, oh my God, how can I do it? You can't. You can do it because the grace of God is working in your life, whether you feel like it or not. Father, today I, I'm so grateful that we're called out of this world. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. And I pray today for everyone here, and even those that are not here, that, Lord, there'll be a stirring in their heart to be set apart and not be like the world, but to be more like the Savior of the world. Lord, I stand here. And Lord, I know there's some world in me. And I repent. There's days I probably talk like the world, think like the world. Act like the world. Forgive me, Lord. I want to be set apart. I want to be a vessel of honor. I want everyone here to be vessels of honor, sanctified and useful for the master. And prepared for the days ahead. So Holy Spirit, teach us. How to live consecrated lives. Not just at home. Not just in church. But wherever we go. For our bodies that are temple of the Holy Ghost. Oh, thank you, Lord. I speak and declare God's grace and mercy over this body. Set apart for the master. Holy vessels of honor. Oh, thank you, Father. Everyone lift your hands. Thank you, Father, for your manifested goodness and mercy. You love us with an everlasting love. And the thoughts that you think towards the people of Harvest Church are thoughts of peace and not of evil to give us a future, a hope, and experience. Back to the end. Help us demonstrate the love of Jesus every day this week to others. A lost and dying world. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Do you remember a week or two ago I shared, I, I got to sit down with a good friend and talk, talk to him about Jesus. And... and um, now he's he's really has some serious issues. Listen, loved ones, don't wait to tell people about Jesus. If you know they need him, then talk to them, share with them. Even if it's just you don't have to be an evangelist, give them a little booklet, but start telling people about Jesus. It's so important. Amen. Is there anyone here today you need prayer for your physical body? No coronavirus in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Anything else, Mother? Prayer tomorrow night. A week from Tuesday is the election. Let me tell you something. It's all going to work out. It's all going to be all right. Amen. So take a deep breath and relax. But do, yeah, do your part in. You want me to tell you who to vote for? <laughs> Follow your conscience, folks. Godliness. Amen. Thank you. God bless you. Have a good week. Go home and get your shovels out.